Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy that you joined us here for our podcast today with Jane L. Rosen. She wrote this absolutely fabulous book, uh, Fire Island, that it's a novel. And I don't usually interview people who write novels on this particular podcast, but I thought this just fits in so beautifully with what our podcast is about. I'll let her tell you a little more about what the book's about, because it's just great. I enjoyed listening to it so much. I I listened to it on uh, the audio platform it was on, and it's a a feel-good book. So welcome, Jane. So happy to have you here today. So happy to be here. Thank you so much, and thank you for the kind words about On Fire Island. Oh, it's it's. It's special. It really is. I haven't read a book like that before. And I just, I was entranced the whole way through. So can you tell us a little bit about you first? Sure. I'm an author and obviously of On Fire Island and four other books, A Shoe Story, Eliza Starts a Rumor, Nine Women, One Dress, and the upcoming Seven Summer Weekends, plus On Fire Island. So um, I live in New York City. I have three daughters, three grown daughters. I have a wonderful husband. And today I have a puppy that I just got three hours ago. (laughs) Um, And uh, that's it. I've been living here for since college graduation in Manhattan. And I love it. And we also live on Fire Island. Both places really motivate me and spark my creativity and you could find a lot about both places in my books. Oh, wow. I I just want a summer place on Fire Island after I read this book. It just sounds like heaven. I'd, be yeah, I, I met my husband there 30 years ago. Oh. We were, it used to be that you weren't allowed to drink anything in the main town, which is called Ocean Beach, not even a water or a Snapple. And we we just met and we walked into the, market and he bought a snapple he walked out he took a sip and an officer put a hand on his shoulder and said come with me son and i followed him into the police station and i said this is my boyfriend he just got off the ferry and i was explaining the rules to him when you arrested him uh he didn't even have a chance to hear me and they let him go and that was it my husband said if you could talk me out of that I'm sticking with you. <laughs> we were engaged like five and a half months later. Wow. What a story. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes. And 10 years later, we had our 10 year anniversary party at our house in Fire Island, a little house that we bought together. And uh, the officer that arrested him came and brought two Snapple bottles with handcuffs on them. Oh, how like, funny. 10 years later. <laughs> it was sweet. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Very, very sweet. 
Gee, and that that gives you the our listeners kind of a, a feel for how how sweet this book is. It it just really is is wonderful. It's not all happy. It's got real deep issues in it that make you think, but it still uh, is very appealing. What gave you the inspiration to write a book the way you wrote this one? You mean okay, so. For those who haven't read the book, mm-hmm. um, the book, I think you're referring to the narrator, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. So the book is told from the perspective of a narrator who just passed away, a 37-year-old woman who died of cancer and spends one last summer, I don't want to say as a ghost because it doesn't feel ghostly. It's more of a spirit. She spends one last summer on Fire Island watching over her husband and her best friend and the people of the community. What made me write it this way is really, I was a screenwriter before I was a novelist. And I wrote the story of the three protagonists, Ben, Matt, and Shep, three men, as a screenplay. When I turned it into a novel, my editor said, you need some female vibes here. You're a novelist for mostly for women although men do like my books. So I said, how am I going to do that? And I used Julia's voice and I wrote the book from her perspective. It was challenging, but also really invigorating in a beautiful way to approach the story. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I took a class on the afterlife, Jewish afterlife with a rabbi in London for a six-week online class, I learned so much that I put in the book. I worked with a medium and, and did that whole thing. And I really just got different perspectives on the afterlife and how I would have Julia tell the story without it being constantly sad, how I would have her approach the afterlife and report on what was going on. It was, it was fun. It was interesting. Oh, I just, uh, I love the the idea of doing all those things to prepare you and, and make it work because it, it really does. <laughs> I'm kind of hyperbole here, but it's it's very special. <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I've gotten wonderful comments and letters and notes and emails from people that have just been so moved by it and have lost people like recently and really took a lot from the book to, you know, and in, in maybe in a different way than you would if you were in that situation. So that made me really happy that I've helped people that are grieving and I made people laugh, which is all you could ever ask for, right? <laughs> oh yeah. That's a wonderful thing too. Yeah, most of our listeners are dealing with grief in some form or another. Actually, probably everybody's dealing with some form of grief or another through their whole lives because it, it's just, it it's a constant it's the ebb and flow of life and how it goes and i know so many people question what happens with that whole transition period and though this is a novel as opposed to a you know factual research sort of a thing it gives you something to think about and it it just it was kind of like a a hug by the end that it, it just was very comforting the the positiveness of it and the kinds of things she thought about 
and she was dealing with as she was going through this process is kind of kind of the opposite of of what the the person who's grieving is going through and so it's it's very interesting to see it from the opposite perspective yeah i think that in creating julia i was very very careful not to give her children yet not to so that she wouldn't feel, of course, she's upset about dying and she didn't want to die, but she didn't have to leave young children, which I thought would be too difficult to show her in a, I don't want to say, in a, in a light fashion, let's say, because I think she is approaching death in a very positive way as like a next step kind of thing. But I think if she left her children, if she had left young children, it would have been hard to portray her that way. Oh, I, I think so, too. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I w- was thinking about from her perspective or from, oh, well, I've kind of lost my train of thought. There's <laughs> there's so many things to, to think it about. It happens to me the, all the yeah. time. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a different way of, of looking at things with with the way you've written this and so it, for the grieving person who would be reading the book i'm sure that they could see oh maybe i could think about this differently too how would i think that the person i loved who's who transitioned what would they be feeling or thinking or experiencing right now yeah i think you know i lost my dad when i was 11 years old and mm. I always kept him with me as much as I could. I wasn't willing to only have those 11 years with him. And that might sound strange, but I've always tried to keep him alive in my thoughts and in my heart. And um, then my sister passed away when she was 39 and I was 24, I think. Mm. And I did the same thing. I, you know, have her pictures and I wear something of hers and, I just would talk to her. I didn't care that she wasn't answering me back. I just, you know, would talk to her. And for me, it worked. For me, feeling as if they have some kind of presence in my life is very important. I'm not willing to just let people go that I love just because they've transitioned to another realm of the world or wherever they are. Oh, that's beautiful. That uh, a, a lot of the people in our group, uh, what the Grief and Happiness Alliance is something that I facilitate. The, their gatherings every week where we get together and write about subjects related to grief, and then talk about what we wrote. And it, then we learned happiness practices also because there's always some happiness thrown in there. But they often are talking about or talking in their writing a, about when how things are now and what their relationships are with the people who've died. And everybody seems to have a relationship with the people. It's not like the funeral's over and we go on and forget all about them. They, They all are. It's not that they're clinging. It's that they're kind of celebrating their relationship and, and the joy you had together. And I hear that all the time. They, they, Say, oh, well, uh, for instance, my my daughter just got an absolutely incredible position in, in the where she works in the field where she works, and she's 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 thrilled. 
And when I was uh, congratulating on it, her on it, I said, you know, your grandma and grandpa would be so proud of you. And she just burst into tears because she she feels that, you know, she feels yes. that, that they're they're still there. They're still cheering her on. And and it's that's so wonderful because they've been gone a long time. So it's it's really nice to be able to have that kind of feeling. Yes, my I have three daughters and they really they my they were very close to my mother who passed away four years ago. And they definitely carry her with them all the time. They each have a photo of her on their phone as they're saving, you know, their screensaver. And I know that whenever they accomplish something, because they're at that age like yours, where you know they're getting new jobs, graduating and getting engaged, whatever it is. I, I really believe that they think she knows. In I, When I took this class on the Jewish rituals around death mm-hmm. and the afterlife, the rabbi said that when you go to the cemetery and you visit your loved ones, you're raising their level in heaven or their level of spirituality. Hmm. So you're doing like something for the person who has passed, which I found so interesting. We end up going... The cemetery where my mom is is very close to our exit to go to Fire Island. And my kids are always like, let's stop and say hello to Mamo. And they sit down and they tell her what's going on. And they put shelves on her tombstone. And people may think that's odd, but if that keeps them in touch with her or missing her a little less, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. Whatever it takes to make you feel a little less detached from the person who every day it's getting longer and longer that you haven't seen them, you know, it's a, I think a wonderful, wonderful thing. I, you know, I that death too. is not the end of your relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not you know, the love you have for someone continues. And you just reminded me of um, my, when my husband, Jacques mother, that, that mother-in-law, I had two husbands die. But when Jacques mom was Sicilian, and she, her, her husband died a long time before she did. And they lived in Los Angeles and we lived a couple of hours away from there. And she would go all the time for, for every holiday. She was at the cemetery for anything that she could think of. She would be at the cemetery. And when she decided to move up to where we were to, to be closer to my husband, he was the only child that she she wanted to still drive to Los Angeles a two hour trip through the mountains every time and and he said I just can't do that you know the reason you came here is because I have a career I work I, I you know I can't take time off for every uh holiday so they negotiated which holidays it was that they would be going down there together <laughs> they still and it was a big production to to go down and yeah, she had. It wasn't just him that she visited. It was all of the uh, family that was all buried in in the same general facility, not all same cemetery. So it was a, always kind of a, a trip to uh, go down there and have that kind of experience. And I I hadn't been exposed to that sort of thing before because in for me growing up, I the only time we went to a cemetery was a, for a funeral for a burial. And it, it was really kind of neat. That's how I got to know all of, of Jacques' relatives, because <laughs> they all participated <laughs> in this. And it was always like a big Italian party and <laughs> a yeah. lot of fun. 
Yes. I think Italians and Jews visit the cemetery a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cultural thing. I, um, it's also, you know, my relatives are all there, all of these, you know, people like, I think there's about 20 different relatives there. And I tell my kids, this is this one, this is that one. I tell them how they died. I mean, it's kind of morose, but it's, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not. I find it to be yeah. a cathartic place. Yeah. It's kind of history. Is mm-hmm. my, my parents were old at the time for parents to be having a child when I was born because um, my sister was born before World War II and I was born well after World War II. So there was this big gap and and nobody my parents' age were having children. And so mm-hmm. when my kids came along, all the relatives, most of the relatives were gone already. They didn't get the opportunity to to know all those people. So just as you said, when we would go to a, a funeral and, and go out to the cemetery, we'd walk from because we, we lived in a really small town. And so we'd walk from headstone to headstone and tell the stories. And it, it was really nice to do that. For, so that my kids could get some sense of their their culture, their lineage, their family that they they didn't know. They might have heard a name, but didn't really know that much about them. Yeah, I think, and it's just nice to know that someone may remember you after you're gone, right? Or oh, yeah. spoke with you. Yeah, it does. How okay. interesting. I love the relationships that that you developed in the book. They they were just really wonderful. The the one that tickled me especially was the relationship between her husband and the neighbor who had lived across the street. That they they both had uh, lost their wives, and so they they ended up kind of an odd couple. <laughs> staying together that they reminded me of that that uh, <laughs> the odd couple <laughs> yeah they were an odd couple um I think Fire Island I could attribute that idea to Fire Island itself to my town is a lot of intergenerational friendships and you know, one day uh, this man walked by my house after I'd owned it for like 25 years and he said to me oh uh that's the old, that's the silver house. I'm like, they haven't owned that house for 25 years. He's like, all right, I still call it that. Like, it's very uh, historical. Everyone knows who came before. People don't sell outside of families that much. And it's an interesting place that way. Very connected, very intergenerational. And it made that story of the friendship between an 80-year-old and a 40-something-year-old and a 16-year-old not that unusual because it really does exist there like that it's such a beautiful concept and we just don't see that much of that sort of thing anymore that it's really nice to think about that and say well you know I could do that I could do better with my relationships and I know where I live now on on Maui I've we came over two years before my husband Ron died and so I kind of made my own family once we got here with uh as I, I mentioned earlier an ohana and that we're all all are closer. And I've discovered that on this this island, it, people think of Maui, I think, as a big place, but there aren't that many people who are actually residents on the island. Uh, most of us are uh, most of the people here are tourists by a huge amount. 
And so it's not unusual that every place you go, you run into people you know, because there aren't that many people here. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it, it's, I was thinking about that when I was reading about Fire Island, that I think we're bigger than Fire Island. And we have the tourists that it doesn't sound like Fire Island to have. So that's, that's uh, different issues. But it's, I've never been connected with my neighbors in any place I've lived in my lifetime like I have since I moved on this island. Maybe it has something to do with an island. It, it could be. could be the island or just that on, on our island, we can't get on the ferry and <laughs> go back into the city at the, the end of the summer. You know, we're, we're here because we're like the most remote place in the world. So that behooves you to have friends and get acquainted with each other here. Yeah, same thing there. I mean, it's just the nature of it. You know, there's really, when you see strange faces, you're like, who are that? You know, it's, it's funny. Very well, small town. And it's a great, you know, I raised my kids in Manhattan. So it's a great thing for them to be in a small town where everyone knows their name, where they could ride their bikes to the market and sign their name for their lunch. It's so different than being in Manhattan, you know, where I wouldn't let, I mean, I let them go at six years old. I let them ride off on their bicycles in Fire Island. Clearly that was not happening in New York City. So that small town feeling, I think, did a lot for them growing up and who they are today, that feeling loved by a whole community is a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. I, I had a, a one of the jobs I had in my life was um, I would be the educational testing service would fly me to New Jersey to read exams for them because they wanted people from all over who were in the field, actively in the field, doing that sort of thing. And there was an express bus into uh, the Port Authority from our hotel, where as soon as we'd finish every night, we'd run down and get on the bus and go into Manhattan. And frequently I would extend my trip a little before or after so I could spend some time there because I I really loved it. But it was such a, a unique experience for me because even though I'd lived in various sizes of community, nothing's like Manhattan. (laughs) There are so many people and you could walk for a month and never run into somebody that knew you. You really can be anonymous there. You you think that, but I think once you're in a neighborhood in Manhattan and you use the same dry cleaner and the same butcher Mm -hmm. and the same little corner bodega and the same bookstore, it becomes a neighborhood that a small town. It's very funny. I think Manhattan is just filled with small towns. Yes. We, we had, my husband Jacques and I were both very involved in theater and we knew a, a lot of people from our community that they wanted to go make it big on Broadway. And so they, they'd take off to, to go there and we'd run into him when we were there. And that, that surprised me. I didn't run into anybody that I knew from there, but from uh, the, these people, we, we went to see Tony and Tina's wedding and oh, I can't remember the name of the the area where it was. And and forty sixth Street. Yes. And now it was it was way the the not village the. Oh, it was off Broadway then. Yeah, off Broadway. It was off Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember Tony and Tina's wedding was all the way downtown. Yeah, and they they had. Uh, it was staged like a regular wedding where you'd go to the church and go to the wedding and then you everybody, the, the whole audience would come out and walk down the street and go up to this um, hall where they had the reception. And 
we were standing waiting in the street in front of the church before we went in for the wedding. And these two like young teenage girls ran up to my husband and she, they said, Jacques Thoreau, we can't believe you're here. And they recognized him from performing in the melodrama where we lived in Bakersfield. Wow. <laughs> we didn't know them, but they just recognized him. As that somebody. is hysterical. Because they, they thought, wow, this this is, a, you know, we ran into a star that we know. <laughs> he didn't think of himself as a star, but they, they sure were tickled. So, it, but generally I felt anonymous. I spent a lot of time just walking the streets there because I just always with my head up, I'm surprised I wasn't crashing into people because I just was so fascinated by the tall buildings and the architecture, which was absolutely the opposite of anything where I'd lived before. Yeah, you should read uh, my first novel, Nine Women, One Dress. Uh It's very much a love letter to New York. I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, I will. I enjoyed this one so much. I will absolutely read that. Well, I'm I'm so glad that that you wrote that book, number one. (laughs) And then I got to read it. And then I got to talk to you about it because it's delightful. And I think... Lots of times when people are are dealing with grief, they feel guilty about doing something that's going to make them happy or make them smile. And I I feel that that's essential for them to be able to to deal with grief. And they can grieve and be happy at the same time. And and this is a this book is a good example of that. It's something where it's guilt free. You know, you can yeah. read it and smile and feel for the people in it because the, the characters are so beautifully developed. That it just it it just felt good to read it. So I I really encourage our listeners to read this book and probably other books of Jane's because if I like this one this much, I'm sure I'm going to like the rest of them too. And I'm glad you got to to meet Jane today and got to listen to her and meet her puppy. So what's your puppy's name? Have you named Rosie? Oh, we I love Rosie. That. We're big Springsteen fans. So her full name is Rosalita. Ah, that's yes. sweet. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and enjoy Maui. I'm sure it's beautiful this time of year. It's it's beautiful all times of the year. <laughs> right. Exactly. Fa- fabulous place to live. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. And to my listeners, we'll see you again next time. And yes, there's On Fire Island is Jane's book. And I really hope you'll pick that up and read it. Or as I did, listen to it. It was very nice to hear the the characters in the book that way. So we'll see you next week. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.